Hi folks, this is Ron Longwell. Um, I, I need to just kind of let you know this: the episode you're about to hear, um, we recorded, my, uh, my son Nathan and I uh, recorded this the other day, <laughs> and um, as it turns out, uh, we had some uh, audio challenges. So we had, we had two mics set up, and I had one and he had the other. And because I'm stupid, um, we uh, when we recorded it, um, somehow I forgot to hit the button to record his microphone. So um, the audio you're about to hear has me pretty loud. You we, you can still kind of hear him in the background. Um, there's there was just no real, and he's done some audio magic to try to kind of fix it a little bit, but it's it's not going to be the greatest thing. You'll be able to hear him, but it, he'll be real subdued in comparison to me, um, which. Um, you'd really probably rather hear him than me anyway. So sorry about that. There's not a lot we can do except to just try to re-record it. And, you know, we've both got lives to live and we didn't want to take the time to do that. So I apologize for that, but I just want to let you know what the what the problem is and we just are managing it the best we can. And next week we will have corrected that and I'll do it right. <laughs> but anyway, I, I hope you enjoy this. I think this is a really good conversation. We both enjoyed it. And I hope it's a blessing to you. Hi folks, this is Ron Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for another episode of the Jesus Society Podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the kingdom of God. What you just heard was was my son, Nathan. Um, say hi, Nathan. Hi, Nathan. <laughs> um, so I've got him with, with us today, and we'll talk about why here in just a second. But uh, this is episode 46, uh, I think. Uh, of the Jesus Society podcast, and we're going to uh, kick off today a two or probably three-part uh, little series here, and what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks is the idea of um, worship, music, and the Christian assembly, and all those are different things, but they, they overlap a lot. So we're going to have a few guests um, uh, over the next couple of weeks, and um, but I want to, I want to, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But I want to kind of start by saying that this little series has the potential to be a little bit controversial. And I want to say as loudly and as strongly as I can that I do not intend it to be. Um, our guests do not intend it to be. But m- many of us have very strong feelings about what goes on in, in the assembly. Um, music-wise. We have strong feelings about worship um, and how all that works together. And that has been true for a long, long, long time. But in talking about all this, as we're going to, I absolutely do not want this discussion to contribute in any way to the already fractious divisiveness in Christianity. I want the overall thrust of this conversation to promote unity and hope and most importantly, a reverence for, for God, okay? So I hope we can have a, a productive conversation around some of these issues, um, and, and I hope that conversation can be laced with humility and with love for one another and undergirded by a deep, deep devotion um, to God. So 
Joining me today is my son, Nathan, my pride and joy. Um, the <laughs> you and only have one option. I only have one option. I only have one son, so you have to be my pride and joy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Nathan and I, like what you need to know about this conversation today and over the next couple of weeks probably, uh, th- th- this could be just a two-parter, but I, boy, I, when I think about all that we've talked about talking about, I just can't see it being limited to two parts. So I think it's going to be three. Um, I doubt, I I talk, I talk a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But we, we cooked up this idea together to talk about this and a lot of it, a lot of what we're going to be talking about and the issues we're going to be talking about has grown out of a whole host of conversations that uh, Nathan and I've had over the last five or six years about this. So um, I'll, I'll give you sort of my piece of where I think that has come from. Um, so I, it really goes out of my background. I grew up in the Methodist church and, um, you know, we approached the idea of worship or the assembly, like it was a, it looked a certain way and there's, there's some background there. Um, at some point, and I've talked a little bit about this in previous podcasts, I, I ended up in churches of Christ Churches of Christ have a very different idea of churches of Christ, if you don't know, are a cappella churches, uh, which means traditionally uh, we don't, do not use musical instruments uh, in, our, in our assemblies. Um, and there's some, um, depending on who you talk to in churches of Christ, you will either get a very dogmatic view of why that is, um, a very uh, rigid and unyielding view of why that is, or increasingly, you'll you'll find a little more of a gracious explanation of why that is. Um, and I have I have occupied the, the full stance of those views. So so that's kind of where I've I've sort of come from. And as we get into this, we'll sort of see where I am today, which is not. Here's the thing about growth: as we mature in Christ. Um, if you, if you still hold every single one of the same views that you held 30 years ago, you're not growing. You're just not growing. And, and I know some people who say, I figured out the gospel 30 years ago and I haven't changed at all. Well, you're not growing, right? Um, this is about growth, which means God doesn't change. So the only person left to change in all that is, is me, <laughs> right? So I have grown. Um, I have adapted. I have, I have kept... God at the center. Um, I have kept scripture at the center, um, but I don't stand exactly where I stood 20 years ago. And that should not surprise anybody who's on a real journey for Christ. So Nathan grew up, well, you talk about, talk about your, like where you're coming from and all this and how you've, I mean, you're 25. Is that right? I have to ask my son how old he is. That's, I'm sort of ashamed of that. I don't, it's hard for me to remember. So all last year, I had friends telling me that I was a year older than I was, just to mess with me. And so now I'm confused. I think I am 25. I'm officially a quarter century old as of November. So your life is one quarter, at least one quarter over. You've... I got like a toe in the grave, not a whole foot. <laughs> yeah, and... Um... By, by the way, by the way, before you get into all that, I just want to remind everybody, Nathan is... Um, he is our musical wizard in this house. He is he handles all the recording and and producing of this podcast. 
the uh, the cute little intro music piece that that always accompanies Nathan Nathan um, uh, composed that and played played all the like he he did that that's him um, so he's our which is one reason why this this podcast came about because he is very musically inclined and and anyway go ahead go ahead um, well and it it came about because I started asking questions partially. Um, so, like he said, we, we grew up, you know, I grew up in conservative churches of Christ. Um, I, I'm, we were talking about this the other day. I'm sure that I asked, you know, like, why aren't there instruments in music, but, um, in, in music in church, but I don't remember it. I don't remember really thinking about it. Um, I became a musician well, I'll, I'll talk about more of this next week because it, it applies more. I became a musician, um, and then I started to get into some more Baptist and non-denominational circles, and that started, you know, just hearing another perspective on what is worship, what does music look like in the assembly, because music is really near and dear to my heart, obviously. Um, yeah, and, and in fairness, it, it is to my heart, too. And into your mama's heart. Well, and that's where I, I'm sure that's where I got it from. Yeah, yeah. We 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 love music in our family. We always have. Um, my wife um, is Nathan's mother. Is a we always joke and say she's a walking encyclopedia of church hymnody. It's right. A, it's a rare day where she's not walking through the house singing something. Yeah, and she. You don't even know this, but she and I had a conversation just a few minutes ago. And she was talking about, we were thinking about, she was ta- talking to God this morning in her quiet time and um, um, thinking about all the junk that had. So today we're recording this. This is uh, the 7th of January. And of course, last night, the 6th, was the the mess up in the kerfuffle in Washington, D.C. and all that storming of the Capitol and all that stuff. So we were, we're all thinking about that this morning. She was praying about that this morning and talking to God about it. And as often happens... Um, with with my wife, she, when she gets to talking to God or thinking about anything, hymns will pop into her mind. And a couple of hymns popped into her mind today about th- those things that that we're convinced that one of the primary ways God speaks to her is through hymns, by, by bringing hymns to mind, um, because she just knows all of them. <laughs> Every single one. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so music is a big part of our lives. Um, so go ahead. Well, yeah, so I, I just, I, I started getting in circles that approached music and worship differently than the way that I had grown up, and so we started to have conversations about where that comes from, what are the, some of what, you know, where the theological background behind some of that, but also what does it mean for us going forward, because I was experiencing some stuff in those, in those churches and those atmospheres that I hadn't experienced before, and so we'll... We'll talk about probably more of that next week, and I'll kind of explain some of that. I also got into um, audio and doing technical stuff, and so now I'm I'm volunteering at at my church, and I'm gonna um, I'm helping out run audio for the main big worship service in a you know a very large congregation, which is a very different place that I never expected to be. But you know. yeah, and by the way. So, because Nathan is has is in a in a world a little differently than what I have been in and where he has always been in, he's got some interesting insights into some of this stuff um, that have helped me. We're going to get into all that again next week, 
Um, but some some things about, you know, if you're if you're critical and everybody's critical of either more traditional worship, people are critical of that. Uh, more contemporary worship, people are cont- critical of that. Um, you know, we all bring ourselves to this stuff. We all bring our backgrounds to this, and so Nathan has kind of helped me understand some some things about the way people that aren't me <laughs> approach this, which is always a helpful thing, right? Always seeing the world through somebody else's eyes is 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 always a, a helpful thing. Well, and I got to be able to ask why we have done the things that we have done for however many hundreds of years or whatever in in Christian circles and understanding, you know, as a kid, you don't understand why you do the things that you do every Sunday. Um, but being able to look back on that and understand some of that and ask some questions about that. Yeah. Tie those dots together. Yeah. Yeah, and th- those things are those things are always useful. Um, it's it's always good to know how we got here, um, and if you if you think, well, we just read the Bible and do what it says, and it's that it's that simple. Um, you you've got some growing to do. It, it's we bring a lot of ourselves into just even the lens through which we read Scripture um, sometimes. So it's really good to be aware of of where our ideas come from and and what part we play in in those things. So um so Nathan's going to be with us this week. I'll just admit a lot of this discussion we're going to have today is kind of me being teacher teacher Ron. I'm playing the audience. He's playing the audience. Um he'll poke at me when he thinks I need to explain something better uh, or I will try to to assume the questions that you are already thinking and intercept him before he gets too far ahead of himself. <laughs> but I make no promises. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um next week we're going to be joined by our friend Ashley. Uh, at least I hope we'll be joined by our friend Ashley. She's committed to it, so we're going to hold her to it. Um, and um, she has a little different perspective on a lot of these things. Um, it, it was important to me, if we're going to have this discussion, that um, some people who are not as um, um, in, in such an advanced state of um, um, decrepitude and, and um, geriatric they're not quite as geriatric as I am. Well, you're not on a walker yet. I'm not. I'm not using a walker just yet. Um, but it was important to me that we have some young people um, in this conversation, um, and not, it, you know, it just isn't an old guy like me talking about all this. So, so Nathan is a natural fit. Ashley is as well because she has a, she has a little bit of a different slant on some of these things. So, so I think next week and probably the week after we're going to have a very a very interesting conversation around uh, some of this stuff with the three of us. Um, but today, what I want to do today is kind of lay some theological groundwork for this discussion because theological groundwork is always the way to begin an important discussion. And so we're, we're going to, we're going to deal, try to deal with a couple of things. Um, so worship the idea of worship in Scripture, what is it? Um, how does the Bible present worship? Because then we'll, we'll know at least when we're trying to add something into the, the idea of worship that isn't part of that. Um, and, and we want to make sure that worship is everything that the Bible wants it to be, right? So there's that. There's the idea of the assembly, too. I, I, you know, what's, what's the Christian assembly supposed to be? What's its purpose? What... what um, you know, those, those sorts of things. I, I, they're, this is, um, 
Uh, music too. What, what's the what's the role of music, and how does that sort of play out? Um, that's a little more nebulous in scripture because we don't just get a lot of. There's just not a lot of conversation about music in scripture. I mean, there's really not hardly any in the New Testament. There's there's a there's a little there's a little bit right. right? So so I want to I want to try to get, sort of get some theological background to kind of frame the rest of our discussion in all this. Um, and then, and then ne- starting next week, uh, Nathan and Ashley and myself are going to have a little bit more of a discussion of um, how we might think about and address some of the different challenges of worship and music and the assembly in our contemporary age. Some, some places where we have gone church-wise and whether all that's good and, and how we might, we might critique some of that and maybe try to get a little closer to the heart of God for, for what some of those things. Okay, so uh, I, I want to say, and, I, and this is something I could talk a lot about, but, but I'm, I'm going to, for brevity, we're already 15 minutes in, and I, I don't want this to be a three-hour deal. Too late. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. So I have a little bit of a different perspective on some of this stuff, just simply because I am so geriatric. <laughs> um, you know, if you've been around for, for 30, 40, 50 years as I have, you have seen... You know, we had back in the in the early days of my ministry, we were going through churches were convulsing around what what came to be called worship wars. And if you're older than 25, you you will remember some of those things. Um, and there's some reasons why churches were were going through some of that stuff, reexamining what worship was. Um, and and again, understanding where we come from. I think is helpful. So I have a little bit of a, a longer view on some of this stuff, and and we could talk about that at length. And I originally intended to, and then I saw how long my notes were for this, and I decided to kind of cut some of that down. But you know, I think a lot of people um, that grew up in more traditional churches got kind of frustrated with their worship experience, and so they started trying to to do what came to be called worship renewal. Um, and that led some places, I think in some ways that, that was, some of that was good. I, I don't think it was all good. Um, you know, your worship experience is not, the, is not the same as worship, right? You how and if you try to aim for a better experience of worship, that doesn't necessarily mean you're worshiping God better. God sometimes has a different view of things than we think he does. And just, the things that turn us on are not always the things that turn God on. And, there, and, and I think if you're familiar with Scripture, you know that. There's lots of, lots of times in Scripture where the things God values are not the things we value, and we see that. So, um, and, and the way we've seen some of those sorts of things play out in churches over the last 30 years, I, you know, I, I can see all that because I remember kind of where we were. So, so, you, so we need to understand, like I'm coming from this from a, a little bit longer view where I have seen a lot of change in the way worship has been done in churches. And, and some of it, I think, has been helpful, but I don't think all of it's been helpful. And so some of that's going to come out, I think, as, as we get into all this. Let me just add one thing to that. Yeah. I think in, in a lot of areas, and not just worship, over the last hundred years, there's been a lot of things that we've done that have been divisive, and a lot of things that that we've done. Um, we heard a preacher describe it one time as when in a world where 
the large portion of the the culture says that they're Christian, the only thing that you can do as a church is differentiate yourself from other Christians. So how we're better than this church or how we're better than this church. Yeah. I think there's been a lot of of damage from that mindset that I think both of us would like to try to work on healing. Yes, definitely. From both angles. From definitely. Angles. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and for the largest part of, at least in America, the largest part of um, the history of America, all that's changing now, but, you know, America thought of itself as a Christian nation. I, I want to argue that it was never a totally Christian nation, but, um, you know, it was hard, hard to run down the street without finding somebody that didn't go to church. Everybody went to church, so everybody was at least drinking the water. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, um, we, we got very good at denominating ourselves by I'm this brand of Christian, or I'm this brand of Christian, or I'm that brand of Christian. Uh, in the earliest days of Christianity, you were just Christian, right? So, so there's some there's some problems there, uh, and some of that will come out. Okay, so so as we talk about this, I, uh, one of the things I, I want to do first, and, and I, I want to talk about some words, um, and I'm and I'm going to restrict it to um, what, like what are the words for worship used in the New Testament? And I originally wanted to do Old Testament and New Testament, but um, like this is complicated enough just in dealing with New Testament. Um, and, and I realized the limitation of not including the, the Old Testament into this more than we're going to. I, I do realize that that's a, a somewhat of a skewed view, viewpoint of things. Um, nonetheless, I'm going to grossly simplify the Old Testament concept of worship um, by simply saying that I think the, the same ideas we're going to see in these New Testament words are more or less paralleled by, by the Old Testament words. Okay, so, so in the New Testament, there are five um, Greek words. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. Um, there are five Greek words which, were, which are at times translated as worship Okay, they're also translated by other words sometimes. Okay, and and they do not all convey exactly the same idea. And so it's important if we're going to adequately discuss what worship is that we take note of some of the differences in those words that are used to describe or define worship. Now, two of those five words only occur a few times in the New Testament, and they really don't add anything significant to the understanding we gain from the other three. Also, another one of those words primarily refers to uh, what we might think of as false worship, either the worship of false gods or the false worship of the true gods. And so we're not really going to bother much with those. And that leaves us, and I realize we're paring this down, um, and I know that, and I know ideally you want a thorough and complete and exhaustive look at all this, but we, this is a podcast. This is not a PhD class. This will be thorough. <laughs> yeah, so, so that leaves us with two words, and we're going to look at those two words. And those two words occur much more frequently in the New Testament. They are the two most frequently used words that are translated as worship, although even in those cases, you're going to see that they're sometimes translated by a word other than worship. Um, but they're important for our context. By the way, when you talk about word studies... A lot of a lot of people, a lot of preachers, and a lot of a lot of lay people kind of have the idea that word studies that if we just if we're talking about a concept, we just look up the word and it's got one definition and there we go, it's settled. Word studies just don't work that way. 
Um, it's it's ju- and if you think about it, it's just like English. Um, you take a word in English, and almost any word you think of in English, if you look in the dictionary, there's three or four, five, six, ten definitions, right? Ten different ways that word can be used. It's the same in Greek. It's the same in Hebrew. Words have nuance. They have subtleties of of meaning, and depending on context, that sometimes time. And, and what what do you mean? Like well, sometimes words change. Over words time. change over time. Yes, yes, exactly. So, so th- there's some uh, there's some limitations to word study. When I was a young minister, man, I was all into word studies. You know, we're gonna, we're to look up the Greek word, and we're going to tell this is this is the exclusive meaning of that, and and therefore that settles any arguments we have. It's just, I, I don't do that as much as I used to um, because context often determines more of the meaning of a word than just the word, right? So, so I want to say that. That said, there's a couple of words I think we need to pay attention to. The first uh, word that we come to in the New Testament that is often translated by the word worship is the Greek word latreia, okay? And it can occur as a noun, it can occur as a verb, and the, the words are slightly different if it's a noun or a verb, Right? But the word carries the idea, generally, of labor or service, okay? And we find that word in the, again, a noun sometimes is a verb. And so let me, let me just show you a few examples of both of those. So as a noun, um, it is used in John 16, verse 2, where Jesus is talking to the apostles, and he says that an hour is coming when everyone who kills you will think that he is offering a service to God. The New Revised Standard Version will translate the word latreia there as worship. Um, everyone who kills you will think they're, they're offering worship to God, okay? In other words, they think that they're doing it for God, in service to God, okay? In Hebrews chapter 9, uh, the writer uh, begins the chapter, ta- chapter talking about um, Hebrew tabernacle worship and all of its trappings, you know, the sacred bread, the altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant, all those things. And he'll say in verse 6 that with these things prepared like this, the priests enter the first room repeatedly performing their ministry. Okay, so that's, that's the word there. Again, the New Revised Standard Version translate it, translates it, I believe, as ritual duties, but it's the word latreia. Okay, so it has to do with service or, or, or duty or ministry, that kind of stuff. Okay, now... Let me give you a couple of examples real quick where the word is used in a verb form. In Luke chapter 2, verse 37, Luke will talk about uh, the prophetess Anna, and he'll say that she did not leave the temple serving God day and night with fasting and prayers. Uh, Serving. Uh, Both the NIV and the New Revised Standard uh, Version translate that word there as worshiping. Okay. In Hebrews 13, 10, the Hebrew writer, in, making, uh, in talking about the role of the Old Testament priests who serve at the altar, says that under the new covenant, we have an altar from, from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. Uh, it is also translated in other versions by the words serve or minister or officiate. Okay? So as you look at the ways in which that word is translated, you, you, you simply consistently get the idea uh, of um, that worship and service are used interchangeably, okay? Um, and I, I think there's also a sense in which your life um, can be seen as a certain form of worship to God. Uh, your life and my life, by the way, we choose to live in purity and righteousness and godly service 
is, in a very real sense, worship to God. And Paul will certainly talk about it that way in Romans 12, verse 1, when he says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And by, by the way, that word worship there in Romans 12, 1 is this word latreia. Okay? Now, that's not the whole story about worship in the New Testament, because there's another word that we need to look at. But, but I'm going to pause here and just say, just ask Nathan, do you have any Anything you want to say about that? Any comments, questions, gripes, grievances, anything like that? Uh, no, not yet. Um, I will say, <laughs> as I'm thinking about this, because this is the first time I've looked through any of these notes. This is we haven't we've talked briefly about some of this, but not really fleshed out any of it. Yeah, that's already interesting to me because I think a lot of the times we we disassociate. Things, for example, like service projects or going out and doing good things in the community, we disassociate that from worshiping God, but it is in and of itself an act of worshiping God. Yes, it is. That's important. It, it is probably more important than the lives that you're actually affecting. I don't. Maybe that. Maybe I'm crossing some boundaries there. But God cares infinitely more, maybe, than the people that you're serving. Uh, okay. When yeah. Ma- maybe. Like maybe. Yeah. 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 The, the the Jesus talks about being a light to the nations or a light to the world. The Old Testament talks about that too in Isaiah. And and yes, the the way we live in this world as lights, as children of the King, you know, the the kingdom of God is about a a certain kind of ministry to the world, and that in and of itself is worship. Okay. So so we need to see worship. In, in all of its nuanced forms is not just, and, and, and you're going to see this more come out as we get into this, not just gathering together with everybody else and singing songs. That is a kind of worship, but, but that's, we need to see that worship is a bigger word than that, okay? All right, so there's another word, uh, and the most common word in the New Testament that is translated as worship is the Greek word proskuneo, Okay, uh, the word yeah, yeah. Um, the word proskuneo is used um, about sixty times in the New Testament, far more than all the other words that are translated as worship combined. Um, the Apostle John will use it eleven times in the Gospel of John. He'll use it twenty-four times in the Book of Revelation. So it's a it's kind of a power word. It's a big word. So I want to share with you a couple of verses where this word is used, and then I'll, I'll kind of tell you what it means. Um, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, for example, when Jesus is being tempted by the devil, and the devil tries to get Jesus to bow down and worship him, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 10, verse 20, and he actually uses verse, both um, proscuneo and latreia, but he says, you shall worship, proscuneo, the Lord your God, and serve latreo, him only. Okay? So you see kind of both ideas there. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Those are both our words here in one passage. Does that mean that they mean two different things? Um, they have they have slightly different nuances. Yeah. 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 I figure if they're using the same sentence, they have to be. They have to kind of yeah, it's not it's not just a, a, a recitation of the same thing. Um, yeah, so in Matthew 5, verse 6, um, when Jesus encounters the man possessed by the legion of demons, it says that when, he, when the man saw Jesus, he ran up and knelt down or bowed down before him. Um, the, the NIV says, 
um, that he fell on his knees in front of Jesus, that is the that is proscuneo. He knelt down or bowed down. He fell on his knees in front. That's proscuneo. Okay. In John chapter four, in the account where Jesus talks with the woman at the well, uh, ten times in that uh, section, uh, you'll find the word worships worship and worshiper, and all of those are forms of the word proscuneo. Okay. Now we we just talked recently when we were talking about the chosen, we we talked at length about that the woman at the well scene. Uh, so you may be familiar with that story. If you're not, you should read John chapter four. Um, so it's used a bunch there. And we said John uses that word more than anybody else, right? So he used it there. Now, what does proscuneo mean? Well, it is a very old Greek word. It's one of those words that came into being during the early days of the Greek language. And as is often true of those old Greek words, it has a, a lot of great imagery in its past. The word literally means, in the, in the early days of the Greek language, it means uh, to kiss the hand towards. So, so you would put your hand to your mouth and kiss it and then extend it toward a person, okay? Um, I'm demonstrating that, which you can't see. Um, so it, is, it, is, it has the idea of homage um, or obeisance, um, deferential respect. It's Nathan's rolling his eyes at me because I used a big word. Um, so it is, it is humility, okay? Proscuneo is the inferior paying respect to the superior. You don't have enough cash for all these $5 words. Yeah. So you're going to like this part, though, Nathan. Um, the Greeks would use this word to describe a dog that would sidle up to its master. The, the dog knew who the boss was, right? And he would sidle up to his master and stick his nose in the master's hand and lick his fingers. And the Greeks would say that the dog was proscuneoing the master. Okay, got that? Um, now, by the time that the Greeks got around to translating the Old Testament, and it wasn't really the Greeks necessarily, it was Jews, Jews who spoke Greek, translating the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek, okay, uh, which is called, the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament is called the Septuagint, another big word. You'll sometimes see it uh, in writing referred to as the the... The uh, um, by that by the uh, the little thing LXX you'll see, which is I think it, I'm stretching my memory here. I think it, there were 70 people who translated, and so the 70 is the Roman numeral LXX. I, like I think that's all right. I, I didn't didn't prep that part. So anyway, but if you see in some writings about the Bible, you see somebody quoting LXX. That's the Septuagint. It is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and there's a whole big realm of scholarship devoted to how the Greek translation of the Old Testament uh, compares to the Hebrew Old Testament itself. Another big, get off in the weeds. We get off in the weeds there. I promised Nathan we wouldn't get off in the weeds too much. Well, yeah. I'm tempted to ask questions about that, but yeah. I will refrain from it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about those later because we'll get off in the weeds, and we don't want to do that. So anyway, um, so, so by the time the, 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 the Septuagint was translated, the, the, the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew into Greek, uh, the outward act of kissing the hand towards someone had pretty well fallen away. People weren't doing that. They weren't kissing their hand towards someone to, to show deference. Um, and the, the idea then of proscuneo was the inward reality of a person's heart when he, when he worshiped God. Okay, so it's again, it's the inferior paying respect to the superior. It is the attitude of a crouching kiss. 
It is homage. It is deference. It is surrender. And it is submission. And that attitude of submission, the, the approach of surrender to God, is at the core of what we must be when we worship God, okay? So, so worship is all about surrender and submission. That is proskuneo. So here's the question. And this is, I'm not necessarily directing this toward Nathan, just so he knows and so everybody else knows. Is that what you do when you worship God? Is it, a, is it a surrendered, submissive heart? Is that, the, is that the primary attitude of your heart when you do what you think of as, as worship? Because that is what God wants. God wants proskuneo. And without proskuneo, a spiritual song is just words put to music. It's not worship. Without proskuneo, a prayer is just words in the air. It is not worship. Without proskuneo, it doesn't matter if you clap your hands or raise your hands or sit on your hands. And I'm not really talking about the outward display here. That's not my point. I'm talking about the inward attitude of your heart because without proskuneo in your heart, it just doesn't matter. And that is, it's that way with all of the, you know, in Churches of Christ, uh, and if, you, if you've got that background, you'll know this. If you don't, um, we have always, when we've talked about worship, we've emphasized the five acts of worship, okay? Um, and, and those are the things we all said, you, like, you have to have this in the, in the assembly, right? There's preaching, there's singing, there's giving, there's um, uh, the Lord's Supper. Um, what's the other one? I can't remember what the other one is. Anyway, we've always talked about these, the five acts of worship that you always had to have. But here's the thing. No matter how correct we might be in, what, in, in whether, whether or not we do those things, it is all pointless if proscuneo is not the environment. Those things become vain worship without that. Um, interestingly, when Satan tempts Jesus in Matthew 4, verse 9, and he asks Jesus to fall down and worship me, that is proscuneo. That is what the devil wants. The devil wants something that belongs exclusively to God. Okay? Um, you have something to say? I, well, I, Nathan's been sitting on his hands, bouncing up and down. Not, not, <laughs> um, let me... Uh, Real quick, I mean, I'm looking up a verse and trying to find it. Um, James 4, 10. This is what I was, as you were talking about this, I was thinking about. Um, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. It's a, several different. That's that's the idea. Several different versions of that. That's just the CSB. But the attitude behind all of this is surrender. It's humility. Um, I, I will point out maybe something interesting and we'll talk about some of our differences and stuff later but the fact that proskuneo is used as bow down i think is really interesting because in more traditional churches we are taught to stand up and be straight and rigid and yeah yeah <laughs> right yeah and if you do anything other than that yeah even a hand clap is exactly exactly and i and i always one of my little pet peeves about things and it's just it's a word thing i'm a word guy right so um we we sing the song sometimes you know i stand in awe and how many churches are you i have i've been a part of and you probably have too anytime you sing sing the word stand the song leader makes everybody stand up the the idea and of course the, the phrase stand in awe has nothing to do with your posture it has to do with your state, your internal state, right? But, but, but 
we sometimes have this this sort of I was about to use a, a negative word and I won't use it. We have this attitude sometimes if we sing the word stand, well my gosh, we better be standing. And that's just silly. And, right? and I think we've we've maybe taken away from well if, if controlling somebody in their state of humility takes away from their experience with God. Well, and and there, yeah. If you if you feel com- compelled to bow down, yeah, or kneel, or, or, kneel or like yeah. you better do that, yeah, right. That's, that's an active, and I don't, I don't think I, I had a, a pastor recently ask the to the church. He said, "How how many times in your life, or how many times recently have you literally kneeled down to pray, and you do it, and everything's." Everything's different. It, it, it absolutely is. It means something. Yes. Your your posture, I, I don't want to say posture doesn't matter, and we've, yeah. we've, we've kind of said that in some of our churches. Um, sometimes posture matters. Yeah. It, like it, it affects it, your heart. It affects your heart. Yeah, just, just the act of getting on your face before God Which is what, affects your heart. And that's what, we're, that's what you're getting at with both of these, is that it's, it is about humility. It's about absolutely. humbling yourself before God. Absolutely. Sometimes that means posture, sometimes it doesn't, but... But but it but your heart always yeah. ought to be ought to be there. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So so what does all this mean for us? Well, a, a couple of things I think. Um, it means first of all that your service to God, the things you do for Him on say Friday night, is just as important as your proscuneo on Sunday morning or whenever else you do it. I'm going to get into more of that. Um, secondly, we we just cannot miss the fact. That proskuneo is the is the is the attitude that we must have before God. One who recognizes the majesty of God um, will bow down with a humble spirit. That that spiritual posture is the beginning point of everything that we might label as worship. Okay, um, worship is uh, is an outgrowth. Uh, this is kind of the third thing I think that I want to sort of draw a circle around. Worship is an outgrowth of love and an experience of God. And, and that's a lot of what we talk about here on the Jesus Society podcast. If you do not have a loving, trusting relationship with God, it is going to be hard for you to worship Him. It, um, if you don't know God, you, like you, you can't be forced or led or coerced or, or, or orchestrated into some kind of, some kind of thing that, that, is, that is legitimately defined as worship, Okay. Can I add maybe yeah. a third word or version of the word? Yeah. Um, that maybe maybe doesn't matter. Maybe it does. Um, I think the way that people in non-Christian circles would use the word worship, the sentence that I'm thinking of is he, wor- he worships the ground she walks on or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the word that used there is not at all associated the way that we use it in churches to describe a... a, a Music well, or, or maybe it is the way we sometimes think of worship. That's that's part yeah. of what I'm getting at. I think sometimes the way we think of worship is not the biblical way. I think sometimes so. So in that phrase, he worships the ground she walk on. Like, well, how? What does that mean? He he um, respects her, loves her, does everything he can do for her. There's, a, I think, there's a humility in that. That there 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 can yeah. also be a kind of a selfishness yeah in that yeah yeah 
Yeah. So obviously selfishness has doesn't really have any place in the worship of God, right? That, which that's a big, that's probably something we have a jawline under and circle in red too. Um, okay. So um, I want to I want to shift a little bit, um, and I want to talk about kind of a big picture idea uh, or a couple of big picture. I want to make a few points. That's what we're getting at here of how worship is presented in the Bible. We've talked about the words, but I want to kind of go beyond the words because again, word studies really tell us everything we need to know. And to keep this kind of simple, we're going to, we're going to move away from talking about the Greek words. And I just want to notice that there's, there's roughly 250 times in the Bible, the whole Bible, depending on your translation, that the English word worship occurs, okay? Uh, only about 70 of those are in the New Testament. And here's what I find interesting. If you look at those, and I looked at all of those this week. I was preparing for this, and I, I went back. I've been studying and thinking about this for a long number of years. But I dug deeper this week um, than I ever have into some of these things. And so I looked at every single one of those examples in the New Testament this week. And here's an interesting thing. When you, when you find in the New Testament, when you find an example of a follower of God actually said to be worshiping God, as opposed to a text that merely discusses the idea of worship, right? What's interesting to me is that that worship is almost always, not, not exclusively, I want to say that, but it is almost always spontaneous, done in response to um, an act of God or an awareness of his presence, okay? Uh, it is hardly, uh, hardly ever, not exclusively, but hardly ever orchestrated or scheduled. Um, for instance, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, uh, the three wise men, right, when Jesus was born, they saw the star, they heard the angel, they raced off to, to find baby Jesus, and when they found him, they, they walked in and they worshiped him. They bowed down. They proscuneoed him, okay? Uh, what they did was, was something spontaneous in response to an appearance of God and, a, and an awareness of his presence. Uh, Matthew 14, verse 33, when Jesus calmed the storm after Peter walked on the water and they both, they both got back in the boat, it says that, that everybody in the boat worshipped, proscuneoed him, and they said, surely you are the Son of God. So there's, a, there's another case where, because they were just slapped in the face with, a, with a, 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 an act of God in their midst that they couldn't ignore, and their only response was to bow down and worship, proscuneo, Okay. Um, they didn't. They didn't call a meeting. They didn't organize that. They didn't schedule it. Hey, let's get out in the boat and worship God. Nothing like that. Uh, Matthew twenty-eight verse nine. After the resurrection, when the when the women who ran to the tomb met the resurrected Jesus at the tomb, and and all of a sudden were, were came face to face with the idea that this this Lord who was just crucified is now walking among them again, raised from the dead. They worshipped him, proscuneo. Okay. So, and there's, there's some other verses we could look at. I'm, I'm going to stop there. But the point that, I, that I'm trying to make is that in the New Testament, worship seemed to happen most frequently, not exclusively, but most frequently, outside of any kind of corporate assembly. And those times, it's often done by just one person. 
Okay, so it's spontaneous, spontaneous, and it is done in response to some awareness of the presence or activity of God. And yet today, I think most Christians, if they're honest, we almost exclusively associate worship with the Sunday assembly. And 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 at this at this point in our conversation, I'm going to expand on this. I think in a little bit. I want to. I want what I want to do. I want to call us all back to uh, maybe beginning once again to practice worship in our personal lives. Like don't just don't just ex- exclusively limit it to when you're gathered together with your brothers and sisters in in a, in, a, in some assembly. I want you to see worship as your response to God anytime you're aware of his presence or or sometime when God delivers you from something or provides for you or does something in your midst that you just know God took care of this when he when he heals somebody that you that you've been praying for when he delivers a baby into the world um, that we just had a friend who had a baby the day before yesterday and um, we were we've been praying for them for a long time there was always some some concern that it might be a difficult pregnancy everything happened wonderfully when you when you when when God does something like that it is appropriate I would almost say if you're a Christian it's mandatory stop what you're doing whether it's you or you and your wife or you and your family or you and a brother or sister or two worship God and don't just don't just think worship is this thing we do when we're together on Sunday like I, I want to bang that drum hard okay that requires a, an amount of awareness and, a, and a, a choice to make the Holy Spirit part of your hourly life. Yes. I think, I, I think about this a lot. I don't, I don't know why. A, a few, I don't know, maybe last year, we watched the movie Harriet, Harriet Tubman. Oh, yeah. Remember that movie? Vaguely, yeah. Um, I've slept since then. I think but... about... I think about the her interaction with God in that movie, yeah, and yeah. how it God was part of her life at every second of every day. Yeah, she was talking with him, she was communing with him, she was worshiping him, and he was leading her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least the way it's presented in that movie. Yeah, I, I would right, yeah. right, right. I haven't read a biography of Harriet Tubman, no, so I, I couldn't. But 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 it's a neat, like I and I think. I think the way that that presents her as a believer, her interaction with God, I think that is absolutely the way we experience God. I there, think there's times in that movie where she's she's running with slaves and all of a sudden has to fall on her face because she's having an interaction with God. Yeah, yep, that's right. I had forgotten all about that. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. You should watch that movie if you haven't watched it's a really it. Really good movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so another. So, so let, me, let me bang that drum again. Don't, don't think worship is just a, a Sunday assembly thing. I, I want to encourage you as a follower of Jesus, when you're, when you're aware that God does something, um, stop. Fall down physically if you, if you need to. Worship him. Praise him. Realize that, his, that he's there, that he's interacting in your life for your good. Right and worship him, proscuneo him, okay. Okay, so another another piece of all this that I want to address is this. I want to, I want to ask the question and try to answer it. What what part should worship play 
in the Christian assembly. Okay? Now, if I say anything today that has the potential to be somewhat controversial, this is it. But, but I want you to hear me out on all this. To try to get a handle on this, I want to I look at what the New Testament says about the assembly. Okay? And I'm, and I'm going to go again, um, and, and I do this a lot when I'm talking about this, the most thorough discussion of the assembly in the New Testament. Okay, now there's other things, and we're going to grapple with a couple of those other texts, but the most thorough, thorough, sustained discussion of the Christian assembly occurs in 1 Corinthians chapter chapters 11 through 14. Mostly chapter 14 is what we're going to focus on, but 11 through 14. Now, there's one caveat to all this that I want to just point out just so you're aware that I'm aware, okay? Paul is writing to the church in Corinth to address some specific problems that they're having, okay? It, frankly, all the letters in, New in the New Testament are occasional letters. They're, they're written to a specific church um, uh, for, for specific reasons, the, the, because mostly Paul, uh, since he wrote the bulk of the letters in the New Testament, Paul is aware of this particular church. They're struggling with this or that or the other thing. Sometimes it, their practices are flawed. Sometimes their, uh, their, their, their doctrine is flawed, and he's writing to, to address those specific issues. So he's not usually writing one big gen grand general treatise to the whole church for all time where he just is sort of laying it all out. We sometimes think he's doing that in Romans. He's not. He's writing to the church in Rome because they're doing they're they're struggling with some specific issues. Okay, you have to be aware of that. You have to be aware in First Corinthians he's writing to a specific church to talk about some specific issues. So the way Paul talks about this, I want you to be aware that I know might be somewhat skewed toward the issues that they're having. The things he talks about or doesn't talk about are probably based on the fact that he's writing to a specific church for specific reasons, okay? There's questions that we might want him to answer that he doesn't answer because they didn't pertain to that church. I want you to just be aware that I know that, okay? Um, nonetheless, Paul gives a series of instructions about uh, when you come together, okay? That's the phrase that he use, uh, uses about five times in 1 Corinthians 11 through 14. So clearly... Clearly, he's talking about things that happen when Christians come together in the assembly, okay? So Paul will talk in these chapters, um, and I'm, I'm just trying to give you just an overview, okay, before I make some specific points. He will talk about a number of practices uh, that occur in the assembly. He'll talk about the Lord's Supper. He'll talk about the exercising of spiritual gifts, uh, including a lengthy discussion about speaking in tongues, which was apparently a big issue in Corinth. He'll talk about maintaining order, and um, decorum in the assembly. Um, but he'll also talk about attitudes that should be present when we come together in the assembly. Things like love, things like concern for one another, things like mutual deference, um, doing things decently and in order, okay? But in all this, when Paul talks about the assembly, Paul uses one word more than any other to talk about what seems to be for Paul the central thrust of the assembly. And that word is not the word worship. Although to be fair, Paul does mention singing and he does mention praise and he does mention giving thanks in 1 Corinthians 14 in the context of speaking in tongues. But the word Paul uses most in this section 
is the word that is sometimes translated edification. And edification is the Greek word oikodome. Okay, it is a it is a compound word, and the first part of that word comes from the Greek word oikos, which is the Greek word for house. Okay, Nathan's laughing at me. I'm not laughing. I'm, <laughs> I'm just thinking. You remember in my big fat Greek wedding? Yeah. <laughs> Any word. And I will show you how the root of that word is Greek. Yeah, that's right. We watched we watched that the other night because it was on TV. Or no, it wasn't. We watched we have our we have a DVD of it. Anyway, so oikodome is is a compound word. The first part of that word comes from the Greek word oikos, which is the Greek word for house. So oikodome is the word that the Greeks would use to talk about building a house. So oikodome edification, as Paul uses it to talk about the central purpose of the assembly, he, it's talking about building something, okay? Uh, which is why some translations actually translate the word okodome as building up. So if you look in your translation all throughout 1 Corinthians 14, you'll see that several times. That's this word oikodome. Paul will use it again and again and again in this context to talk about the assembly. So the big question is, what are we building? If, 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 if Paul thinks the assembly is primarily about building up, what are we building? We are building in the assembly, and when we come together, we're building robust, mature Christians. The central function of the assembly, as Paul seems to present it here, um, is to help believers grow into maturity, to build attractive Christians, as we talked about um, in, the, in the podcast episode where we talked about the early church and we talked about um, 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 the, the, the importance of Christians being attractive to the world around them, okay? Um, and that we talked about then that the, the central thrust of the, of the assembly back then was to, to build Christians into the kind of people who were attractive, who carried God before the world around them, okay? In a way that was attractive and and winsome, okay? That is why in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, when Paul talks about the, the people that God has given the church as gifts to the church to lead it, he'll mention, you know, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, and their primary collective work, those, those apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, their primary collective work, Paul says, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up, there's our word, orkadome, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature that is measured by Christ's fullness. And then he says, when that happens, we'll no longer be little children, tossed about by waves and blown about by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the, and the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, and that is Christ. So again, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul uses this word edification pretty much exclusively to describe the purpose of the Christian assembly. And in the most thorough discussion of the assembly in the New Testament here in 1 Corinthians 14, the word worship only occurs once, and it's interesting to see how it's used. It is not used, it's not used about Christians. It's not used about Christians. It is used to talk about an unbeliever 
who happens to be in the assembly. And because of the way Christians are behaving among themselves and the way they're doing things together as God's family, the unbeliever is so overcome by the presence of God in their midst that the unbeliever falls down and worships. And that's proskuneo, declaring God is surely among you. Now, isn't that, let me just say, isn't that what we want unbelievers to see when they see us? They want to be so taken by the fact that we're, we're, we're united together and we're, like, we're different than everybody else in a way that's beautiful. That they say, they, they don't give us the credit, they look at us and say, God is among you. Yeah, so that's 1 Corinthians 14, 23 through 25. It's also interesting that in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, another text that mentions the assembly, and, and, and it's the text that gives us the familiar command to not forsake the assembly, and a lot of you have probably had um, people wag their finger at you um, when you didn't come to church and say, you know, you're not supposed to forsake the assembly, right? That's the, that's the passage where we get that, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. But in that passage, the Hebrew writer says this, let us watch, watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but instead encouraging each other and all the more as we see the day approaching. That sounds an awful lot like edification to me. The Hebrew writer is urging his readers to meet together so that they could help each other become better Christians so that they could stay strong, okay? Now, let me throw one little more tidbit into all this. Justin Martyr, the early Christian leader, he lived from about A.D. 100 through about A.D. 65. Justin Martyr gives us the earliest written description of the Christian assembly outside of the Bible, okay? Nathan wants to ask a question. Is that He's raising his hand over there like he's in school. Well, I didn't want to rudely interrupt. Is that where the word martyr comes from? No. Okay. No, 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 no. Martyr was a, it's a, it's a Greek word, martyrios, if you care. And it was, it was around long before that. Um, um, so it didn't come from him necessarily. Um, but, but Justin Martyr gives us the earliest description of a Christian assembly after the New Testament. Okay. And it's interesting to, to read that. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a, to a website. You can go and read the, the part of his. Uh, he wrote it in, the, in a document called uh, The Apology. And it's chapters 65 through 67. Like their little chapters is a, a bit of a misnomer because it's little passages, not big long chapters. But I'll put a link in there and you can go read everything he has to say about that. But it's interesting to see what he mentions as occurring in, the, in this Christian assembly. Uh, he mentions the Lord's Supper. Uh, he mentions instruction, um, re like reading the scriptures. Um, he mentions uh, uh, giving um, by the wealthy to, to help the poor. And he mentions praying. Curiously, the one thing he does not mention in that whole context is singing, which I find sort of interesting. And, and I, and I want to be really, really clear here, okay? I want to be really, so listen, listen, listen. I am in no way saying here that worship or praise or singing is inappropriate in the assembly. In fact, Paul commands it, okay? Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, Colossians 3, 16, those are, the, those are the, the two big passages in the New Testament where singing is commanded, okay? So it's commanded. 
It's, so it's not optional. Although I don't think necessarily Paul is just saying you only do this when you come together in the assembly, right? Singing is we, something we do. It's something Nathan's mother and my wife do when, that's when she's walking through the house. She's singing, right? Um, but so, it's, an, it's an act of worship. Um, well, it, it can be. It, it depended on the heart, right? right? Yeah, okay. um, but but, but uh, so I want to be clear. I'm not saying that worship or praise or singing is inappropriate in the assembly. And I think, honestly, because we're who we are as Christians, because we're followers of Jesus, because we have a relationship with him, because he's in our midst and we, and we love him and he's working in our lives for good and we, we're aware of that, right? I think anytime we get together, worship at some level is just going to naturally sort of leak out, Okay. Uh, it's just, it's, it's part of kind of who we are in relation to God. But here's the thing. We have in our modern era, I think a lot of, a lot of us as Christians have, have so come to associate the idea of worship with the assembly that we, that we tend to think, I think, that that's the primary or even the only thing that should happen when we gather. Um, and that, that, that the corporate assembly is the only place worship ever happens. And my contention, again, in all this, is that it, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a strangely modern notion to think that. And and I think Paul, if Paul were were transported here, I think Paul would look at that, and I think he would find some of that a, a bit of a of an odd emphasis. So what do you have to say to this, Nathan? You've been taking you've been scribbling over there um, on your little blue pad. Well, I have because if I don't write. It helps me engage a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> I might have just taken a nap. Okay. <laughs> um, Which you frequently do when I talk. Uh, well, yes. Um, <laughs> I, this is a question that we'll talk about more, but, but I know that it's coming next week. Um, one of the things that we've talked about in our notes is, is worship for us or for God? Yeah. And I think part of the way that we need to answer that um, is is singing an act of worship? Is is music an act of worship, or is it an act of edification? And does it matter? That's a great question. That is a great question. Circle that. And make sure we make sure we hit that next week. And does it does it matter? Does the answer to that question matter at all in whether we do it or not? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, whether we do it is not an option. We yeah. we have to do it. We're it's commanded. Yeah, like it's yeah. a it's it's and it's part of who we are, right? Singing is useful. We're going to talk about the purpose of music next week. What just societally, and this is where Nathan and Ashley can help because they're they're trained musicians, both of them, right? So um, they've they've studied the music theory and and all that stuff. So we're, we want to talk about what what function does music have in society and, and human. We, we both have, and we'll talk about this more next week too, we both have been part of churches at a variety of different um, styles, um, whether contemporary, traditional. She comes from a Baptist, independent Baptist upbringing, and she's now in a sort of a more modern Baptist circle. I came from Churches of Christ, and now I'm in the non-denominational church. So we, all, we both have some um, baggage, but also some interesting perspective. Perspective, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So, so that like, that's like, I want to talk about it and we're talking about some similar stuff next week. So, um, so I want to, I want to save that for there, but that's a good, that's a good question. Good question. So, so here's the thing. We're wrapping this up here. I love music and I love singing and I love Jesus. And in his presence, all I can do is fall down before him and, and worship, um, the, the lesser bowing down before the greater and giving homage and respect and gratitude and love. That's what worship is. And it is certainly something that is just really, really important in our lives as Christians because God is the center around which we all revolve. He is the polar axis uh, around which we as, as Christians revolve. And he is our everything. Uh, Paul will say, he'll, he'll say Christ who is our life, right? Um, but but I think I think in our modern era I think we've missed some things I think we've um, I think we've made music the the centerpiece of our assemblies and we're going to talk about why and how maybe that occurs um, I, um, I think just to give a little hint I think some of that is more about us than it is about God um, and I and I think a lot of early Christians, if they were to find themselves in our midst, I think they would find that that's a little bit of an overemphasis. And some of them might even think of some of that. And I'm painting with a broad brush here because not certainly not every church is the same, right? But I think some might even say it's a little bit of a distraction to to what worship is. So. Next week, uh, Nathan and our friend Ashley, um, who are who are not um, geriatric curmudgeons like like I am, um, will be here to help us discuss kind of the practical outworking of all this and how we how we might create uh, a healthier, more worshipful in, in the scriptural sense environment in some of our churches as it relates to worship. Um, so if you've managed to hang with us all through this today, <laughs> How long are you? Uh, one hour, eight minutes, Wow, which is better than it could have been, right? I usually uh, complain for the record about how long these podcasts are. Yeah, so especially when we were doing The Chosen. Now that I'm a part of it, I yeah. don't have an excuse. That's right. Although I did more of the talking than you did today. So, but if, cow prod next week. Yeah, that's right. Well, you'll have to, you may have to prod Ashley too, because she likes to talk too. Um, so if you've, if you've managed to hang with us throughout all this today, um, please stick around for part two and maybe part three next week because this is all part of a big discussion and I don't want you to hear this and not hear that. Um, and I'll, I'll say the same next week because I don't want you to hear that without hearing this, okay? Because I think this is all a big part of the big thing. I don't think we're separating them because of time, but it's all part of one big extended discussion, Okay. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll join us again next week. Uh, as always, we would appreciate it if you'd tell others about the podcast. Um, please, uh, if you enjoy the show, uh, subscribe and rate and review us on whatever platform you use to get your podcast. Um, please visit our Facebook page um, for the Jesus Society podcast. Check out our website, thejesussociety.com. Um, and um, we, we've mentioned before, we've got a Patreon page. Um, and there, there's a link for that in the show notes you can find. Uh, if, if you feel compelled by the Lord to try to support us in a little way, you can do that there. It's also kind of a one-stop shop for podcast links and, and other stuff that I, that I write, because I write some stuff too. 
Uh, but you can look there and find all that. It's, it's, nothing is hidden behind a paywall. It's available to everybody free of charge. Thanks for listening. And remember, say it, Nathan. You are greatly loved. Very good. See ya. Thank you.